today's episode, I'll be talking to my dad and getting some insight into how he was raised and the parenting decisions he made as a young father. Hey everyone, welcome to the Papay Fatigue podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. You know, we always hear about role models and the impact that parents have on their kids. And, you know, we've talked a lot about our own parenting style, but how did our upbringing affect how we think about family? And so today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. I've got my dad here and we're going to be delving into his relationship with his father. First, here's my deal. I'm Dave and I have an eight-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about your family? You know, how many kids were in your family? What your parents did? Just kind of give us a little bit of sense of you know, the familial background, if you were. So I grew up in the uh, 50s and 60s. And certainly back then, the families were more traditional. I had an average size family for the time. I had two brothers and one sister. I was the third in a family of four. Hmm. And uh, what did your parents do? Uh, my father initially was a, uh, a blue-collar dairyman. Uh, and my mother worked uh, in an office in an administrative function. She didn't always work. She worked from time to time. Mm-hmm. Okay. But my dad uh, uh, eventually uh, became white-collar. He uh, ran a test lab in a dairy. Mm. How And let's see, how old... So when you were growing up, how old were you approximately when your mom was working? She was working when I was in elementary school. I remember her working when I was in the uh, sixth grade. Okay. And then after, so then, but from what, eighth, seventh grade and on, she was not, she was no longer working? No, she was working. Oh, okay. I see. So when you were younger, she wasn't working. And then when you were a little bit old, from sixth grade on, then she was working. That's right. Got it. Okay. So we recently finished up a podcast on mealtime challenges and we've got a lot at our house, but you know, I'm wondering if you guys grew up eating as a family. Yeah, we we always ate as family. We ate in the early side. We ate together. When we got older, we somewhat split up. Mm-hmm. But when we were younger, probably through the eighth grade, my eighth grade, mm-hmm. we ate as a family. And do you think, was that, I guess, more normal for the time? You know, I don't know, because I didn't spend much dinner time with my friends. There was one friend... Uh, when I did go to his house, the family ate together around a, a kitchen, t- the dining table. Mm-hmm. And so I guess when you guys got older, it was what, just a function of different schedules or just that you guys were older and like too cool well, for school? Well, you know, or? when we were older, we would eat in the living room watching television, <laughs> almost as a family, you know. Okay. Everyone, well, my parents ate in the kitchen, the four kids ate in the living room watching television. <laughs> okay, nice. All right. Well, at least you got some family time when you were younger, and then at yeah. least we were still spending time in front of the TV together, but, I guess. But, but you know what? Even though we ate, you know, whatever we did together, my parents were not big talkers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So I see. So even when you were at the table, it sounds like it was you and and the siblings. Probably. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't big talkers, and neither were we. We were kind of the quiet family among... All the cousins and uh, you know uncles and aunts. We were the we were the quiet family. Were you? I guess uh, family size, but that was I guess you were saying pretty typical. That was uh, that was pretty typical. Sometimes there were three, uh, four to five was somewhat the norm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know, can you talk a little bit specifically about your relationship with your father and and what his parenting style was like? You know, I don't think they thought much about parenting styles or parenting. <laughs> Back then, yeah. They, they kind of just did stuff. Uh-huh. And, you know, my father, I wouldn't say, um, talked me a lot about what to do, what not to do. 
he just told me, um, or he just had me work a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so, now understand, I was a third child. <laughs> I, I got no, I got no, no breaks. Uh-huh. But uh, we worked a lot. And in the working a lot, you know, you picked up a lot of good habits. Um, and that's all of um, the kids, my mm-hmm. brothers, my sister. We all worked. We had chores. I did a lot of the yard work. I did all the the lawn cutting in the house. We shared. Everyone worked in cleaning up. Uh, we rotated. One week you'd, do di- you'd wash the dishes. One week you'd dry the dishes. One week you'd put them away. I remember doing laundry, which I hated. Uh, because back in those days, you starch clothes, by the way, <laughs> which was really messy and, mm-hmm. and nasty. And then you hung the clothes out on a clothesline mm-hmm. in the yard. And where I grew up, it would rain um, fairly regularly. <laughs> so so the first droplets, you know, my sister would yell, rain coming. And <laughs> yeah. She and I would both run out into the yard and, and gather the clothes as fast as we could. <laughs> so, you know, we grew up having a lot of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um uh, on and and they weren't, you know. I would say my sister never worked in the yard, so to to that extent, there were gender roles. Mm-hmm. But within the house itself, my brothers and my sister, we had there was no uh, differentiation between if you were uh, a boy or a girl. You had the same. You you all did the same thing. We did laundry. Um, uh, actually, my sister and I did the bulk of the ironing. Mm-hmm. Sunday night was ironing night, mm. and uh, we would all iron our own clothes. But my sister and I would be responsible for my parents' uh, clothes. Mm-hmm. I ironed my father's uh, uh, trousers, and she ironed my father's shirts. Mm-hmm. Actually, the trousers were a lot harder. That's why I did it. Wait, really? The trousers are harder? Tra- 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 trousers are much harder than shirts. Really? What, because of the pleats? Because, I, I mean, you you taught me how to iron. I always thought the shirts were the most of the pain in the butt. Uh, you know what? It's because of the inseam that you got to get right in terms <laughs> of... Um, very flat. It's hard to get parts of the the pants flat, and you had to you had to put in really good creases. Oh yeah, and I guess part of it too probably would have been as the styles have changed over time and going yeah. to like a flat front and just uh, wrinkle free. I suppose that my job just would have been easier because of the the technology advancements in in clothing design. Yeah, I still iron today, and uh, and um, uh, it's a lot easier to iron. <laughs> yeah, thankfully. In, in fact, one of the things your mom appreciates is. Iron all her clothes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So, you know, I think that brings me to another topic, right? So, you know, when, when uh, I was growing up, you know, you were always a very involved father. And, and you know, I think you took on what would have been considered at the time to be a, a lot of women, you know, quote, women's work, right? Like the cooking and cleaning, grocery shopping. I, I was saying in another podcast that, you know, growing up, we always had homemade breakfasts. And, uh, you know, I didn't grow up on cereal or frozen foods in the morning. And even at dinner, there was always something that was made fresh on the table. And, you know, we would get up at seven. So I'm assuming that you had to get up at, you know, whatever, six or 630 to make that breakfast. And, you know, I think, you know, in, in my house, I've I've taken on the role of primary caregiver. Uh, you know, my wife has a very intense schedule. And so that's sort of naturally fallen to me. And I've, I've never had an issue with that sort of primary caregiver role and, you know, doing a lot of the cooking for sure. I mean, cleaning, nobody wants to do cleaning, but, but I, I think that sort of taking on those, I guess, more quote, stereotypical gender roles, you know, I, I never really had a problem with that. And I think that is in no small part to having a father who showed me that that was perfectly normal, right? That, that, you know, men cook and they clean and they do the shopping and stuff like that. 
And, uh, you know, so, so laying the early groundwork for what equal, you know, an equal parenting partnership looks like. And, you know, again, if we go back in time to when you were growing up and, and the gender roles and everything, my guess is that wasn't necessarily what you grew up seeing. And, and so I, I'm wondering if that is the case. And, and if so, you know, how did you kind of come about like, all right, I'll just, I'll just do these things. Well, you know, part of it is my dad's, um, he didn't have a lot of outside interest outside of my mother. <laughs> <laughs> he spent all of his time with his mother. And well, with I, your, with his I mean, wife. With, with, my, with my mother. <laughs> yes. And, wife. and, you know, I've taken that on where, you know, I enjoy spending a lot of time with Sandy. So I like to do things with her. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that um, I was somewhat sensitive to er- fairly early on is when we uh, got together and when we were married, I used to work long hours. Um, I would start 9 o'clock, but being an accountant in a public accounting firm, it was not unusual during the busy season to work till 11 at night. Mm-hmm. And so um, this was, of course, before we had kids. But that laid the groundwork for uh, trying to do more when you were home. Mm-hmm. And and then when the kids, when you and, and your brother came about, uh, your your mother was also very busy with her career. Right. And so uh, it was uh, important for me to support her by doing a lot of the, um, or sharing a lot of the work, especially, um, you know, trying to get home earlier, trying to do more stuff. I, I do remember one thing, which I don't think any of you know, is I used to cook breakfast for you guys a lot. Right. And part of that is I remember your mom used to do all the all the breakfast. And and I remember that you got um, eggs five days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, I can't let my boys have eggs five days in a row. Mm-hmm. So I didn't complain. I didn't, I didn't say, what are you doing, dear? Mm-hmm. I just said, I'll make breakfast. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because we've talked about, we've, we have, right, the, this little inside joke, right, me and my brother, right, that you are the expert for the breakfast. And, like, if it comes down to who's making breakfast, we'd rather you do it. And then mom's certainly, you know, with uh, desserts and stuff like that. But as far as, like, early morning baking goes, biscuits and, you know, uh, crepes and pancakes, like, that's, that is firmly your domain and you've sort of established that and uh it feels like everyone's kind of sunk into their sort of specialties around the house and and what they like to cook yeah yeah you know it it makes it easier that way because then it's not necessarily a chore you do something that that you prefer to do and breakfast Mm -hmm. is relatively easy and in terms of learning how to cook you know breakfast is all science you know yeah (laughs) it's all science Mm -hmm. you know baking powder it works a certain way Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. eggs work a certain way and and uh uh, so that makes it easy, you know. It takes out the uh, or for if if you are learning to cook, it makes it a lot easier because the results are more predictable. Mm, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. You know, thinking back on uh, your story about working a lot, my mom's got this story. I guess when you were sent, off, I, I was very young at the time. I think I was under a year, right? And you were sent off abroad for some work and she was concerned that I would forget who you were. And wasn't there some sort of like doll or balloon of your face or something like that? You you were about three weeks when I, when I left, literally I left the country Mm -hmm. uh, to go work um, uh, in, in the Pacific, Mm -hmm. in the middle of, in the middle of the Pacific ocean. And I was gone for about six weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, 
Uh, I think you knew me when I get back or you didn't forget me. <laughs> the, the bigger issue was your brother. Mm-hmm. When he was about um, maybe a year and a half, um, I, took, I took a new job in Silicon Valley. And I was, I was leaving at 5 in the morning and I was getting home at like midnight. Mm-hmm. And uh, after two months, he stopped talking to me. Mm-hmm. He didn't know me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and your mom said, your son doesn't know you anymore. <laughs> so I quickly adjusted my hours. Mm-hmm. Which, it's funny. So I, I was telling uh, Jim in a previous podcast, I can't remember what it was about, but we were talking about uh, our routines growing up. And I remember, I think because of that change of hours that you made to see my brother, that I would be dropped off at school at seven in the morning. Yeah. And it was, it was me and the guard before school, or maybe just me waiting for the guard to show up. And, uh, you know, different times, of course, we could just drop a kid <laughs> off and, uh, walk away and no one's there and they're, they're, they're fine. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that's how I, I mean, it, it was never a big thing for me, but that's, I think how, I now see how that relates to this story about not being able to see uh, my brother when he was younger. Although, you know, you don't know this too, but um, each school year, because I was dropping you off so early and you were typically among the first there, I would go and check the grounds to see who was there. There was uh-huh. there was usually one other kid there, mm-hmm. um, and that, that uh, gave me some comfort <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> that you were totally by yourself. But but you were pretty young. You were like in third grade. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people might consider that child abuse these days. Yeah, I mean, these, you know, different times, right? So, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, we can. We thought things were a lot safer in those days. Yeah. You know? Yeah, certainly. So we recently did a podcast on on raising girls and in, and doing the research for that show. You know, one of the things that I saw was how a strong relationship between a daughter and a father sets up the daughter's expectation for what her future relationships should be like, you know, vis-a-vis men and how she should be treated. And, you know, I think in a similar way, right, having a strong father-son relationship can show you how to treat women. And, um, you know, mom tells this story, I guess, about your dad who, you know, again, if we go back to the times, very different, but who used to carry uh, his wife's purse, so right, my grandmother's purse, which, you know, at the time would have been just weird. Uh, and I'm I'm a little bit curious if you can talk about um, how your father treated your mother and, and, you know, other women, because I think that had certainly filtered down into you and, and down into my relationships, you know, with women. Well, you know, at the time, um, men were supposed to be gentlemanly. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, that is being somewhat chivalrous towards women. But my dad was a little bit different. I mean, he was like that, like many other men. But but he would do things that were certainly non-traditional, like carrying her purse, <laughs> um, which I don't know, I don't think anyone has had done at the time. I don't think people do that <laughs> today either. You know, but they were very close. I, I remember even right through when I was in college that when they went out together, and these were like the days of bench seats in the car. Mm-hmm. My mother was always in the middle seat sitting next mm. to him, right mm-hmm. next to him, even though, you know, the, they were the only two in the front seat. Mm. And I, you know, I was in the back and they were like, mm. like, uh, you know, high school dating kids. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he cherished her. You know, other mm. people said he spoiled her. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing I was just thought about is um, he treated my sister the same way, mm-hmm. you know, with a lot of great respect. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 kindness. Mm-hmm. He was a very kind person. Is uh, the thing that um, 
my brothers and sisters and I all remember about him, that he was a very kind man and kind of a very gentle man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that as we have gone through this podcast, you know, Jim and I talk about why we do it. And, and certainly one of the reasons is, you know, for people who maybe didn't have a father figure, like, right? So I, I can see that thread, right? It gets passed down to you, it gets passed down to me, it'll be passed down to my son, right? In, in terms of how you relate with other people and, and how you respect other people, men and women. And, you know, it's so important, I, spe- I think, especially if you don't have those people to look up to, or you just ha- did, had a very different experience growing up to know kind of what other people might have experienced if you would like maybe something different for how you're raising a child, but you you maybe don't have an understanding of, well, how do other people do it? And you don't have anywhere else to look. Well, you know, one of the things I do remember is um, the anti-parenting lesson. I, I had my very best friend from the ninth grade right through college graduation, um, he had a contentious relationship with his, his father. Um, I, I would go to his house often, and his father was, was I knew his father cared about him be, because his father was always trying to give him guidance, mm-hmm. but not in a very gentle or kind way. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father was, was usually yelling at him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you take lessons uh, from, from the environment also from what you see in terms of who you come in contact with. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's funny because I know a couple of parents where their relationship, or a couple of friends, and their relationships with their parents are very interesting. So one guy, you know, the mom just drove, the parents just drove him super hard. And because of that, he has, his own parenting style is a complete rejection of all that. So, you know, as he's looking for preschools for his daughter, he's like, I want schools where they're not going to teach the kids anything. That just They're just going to run around. I guess like that sort of Montessori style, like, it's a free-for-all, and that's what I want. And I know somebody who, again, had the same experience with her parents, who just drove her really, really hard. And she's like, it made me the person I am today. And, I, you know, I think even with that sort of hard-driving some people take it in different ways. And certainly sometimes it's just, it's very contentious, right? The, I think how the the child responds to that is very different. And also the way that that message is conveyed can also lead to, I think, different outcomes for how that child decides that they want a parent. But I think ultimately we are all sort of a uh, a reflection either... I don't want to say negatively or poorly, but um, I guess in a similar versus a rejected way of of the parenting styles that we grew up in. You know, certainly my goal has been to sort of uh, uh, replicate the way that I've grown up and take the lessons that I've seen from you guys. Whereas, you know, again, other people are like, I'm going to do the exact opposite of of the way that I, I, of the way that I grew up. You know, so speaking of that, I guess, you know, again, it was a little bit of a different time, but did you have any other role models for fatherhood or were you just kind of winging it? Like, how did you come about with the sort of the kind of style that you decided you wanted to, to portray? Well, you know, one of the things both my parents did, um, uh, particularly my dad is he always uh, gave me wide latitude. He trusted that I was going to be making the right decisions Mm -hmm. and that uh, I thought about things before I would do things. It was, um, I was not a rash person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think, falls into the parenting where, yeah, you are kind of winging it. You don't really know what the right things are. Um, but the main thing you do is you don't make any, you don't put your child in a situation uh, 
that's gonna that's going to result in some major consequence that is not good. Mm-hmm. You know, you err on the side of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when you first took the bus. I think you were in sixth grade. Yeah, I think so. And uh, uh, I put you on the bus. And I followed you in the car. <laughs> I, I, don't, I didn't know that. <laughs> Until you got off the bus and got to where you were, mm-hmm. I was following the bus in the car. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know. I like that little tip because we're already starting to think about our daughter and when she's going to be ready. All right. I, I, yeah, I like that. You know, it's um, interesting, you know, as I'm hearing this, I think that part of what we're saying here is that in some respects, some of this stuff is uh, you sort of learn by other people's actions, right? So it's, it feels like, look, if I give you the right set of values and morals that you will, when you have that opportunity to make a decision, you will, I trust that you will make the right decision and setting you up for uh, opportunities where you can make those right decisions seems like kind of, uh, kind of how you grew up. And I was, again, I, I brought this up in another podcast. I was talking to Jim that, you know, one time I, I remember I was over at a friend's house and she didn't live very far away. And I remember, you know, I think it was probably, it got to like whatever, three in the morning and I just didn't come home. You know, she's like, oh, I just crashed here. Like I got an extra bed. Like, don't worry about it. And, you know, I'm not going to call you guys at three in the morning. Just say I'm crashing somebody's house. And I woke up the next day. And I'm like, this was a mistake. Like, they're going to kill me. And I called you in the morning. You said, oh, yeah, we just figured you crashed at her house and you come home. And I was like, well, that was not at all what I expected. But I think and I think that we actually had that conversation to say, like, because I was surprised. And, and I think the con- we actually had a conversation that said, you know, something along the like, look, we trust that, you know, you're making the right decisions and we trusted that you weren't like, you know, whatever, sleeping on the street or something. Like we knew you were at a friend's house and, you know, we felt that was pretty safe. And, and even, I mean, remember in senior year, I don't know how any parent allowed this, but the senior class took a field trip by themselves, no chaperones, no nothing. And I remember I, that. Right. And, and <laughs> you know, in hindsight, if you think about it, it's a bunch of 18 year olds who just got, I mean, relatively speaking, just got their licenses. And also, um, you know, when we got to where we were supposed to be, I remember everyone's like, all right, I got to call home. And you guys never asked me to call home. And I'm like, well, I guess I should call home because everybody else is calling home. But again, it was, you know, I think it was one of those, again, sort of, we trust that, you know, you're making the right decisions along the way and all these other things. And I thought that was very telling. And I, you know, I don't know that you recognize it at the time, but I think you sort of internalize that there's a level of trust that your parents have in you. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to also instill in my kids also is that, hey, so, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to do with my daughter, just simply because she's older and a little bit more capable, is sort of fostering this relationship with her where she can I, she can confide in me, right? And I think that if, if we have those kinds of relationships that those more difficult questions about whatever drugs and sex and, you know, all these other things will hopefully at least get filtered sort of through the parent, through a parental lens before she might get into trouble, right? That, that, that she feels, okay, it's three o'clock. I'm at a party. This thing is going South. I am going to call my parents because they're not going to be mad at me. They would rather come pick me up and make sure I'm okay. than you know, yell at me or cuss me out because, you know, I was at a party I shouldn't have been at. And I think those are, you know, again, those kinds of relationships, at least that I'm trying to create with my daughter. And I think that is a function of the relationship that, that, that we have in the, in the way that I grew up. Well, you know, I, I think from an early age uh, that both your mother and I were sensitive to allowing you or to, to allowing you to be in situations where you had to make decisions and, and 
allowing you to be in situations where uh, you had the ability to make uh, a good decision, but if you made a weak decision, the consequences were not terrible. Mm-hmm. That that if you made a mistake, it'd be okay. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea, I think, was let you make lots of decisions, make mistakes, learn from those mistakes. And certainly by the time you're in high school, we trusted your judgment um, uh, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you had already demonstrated. Uh, you, you knew how to um, uh, not do dumb stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh and also, we knew your friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that certainly helps uh, growing up with the same bunch of kids to say, "All right, these these are all pretty good kids, at least from yeah. what I understand." And that we you know the parents. And yeah, I think that's the other thing about sort of being with a cohort of kids as you grow up, whether that's you know the kids from the neighborhood or whether that's kids from school that you've gone whatever K through twelve with or K through six, K through eight. That there is some level of all right, these are are good kids and, you know, hopefully my kid's not going to go astray and and that's a good supporting group of people to have around them. We talk a lot of, on the podcast of about intentional parenting and, and I feel like what you're describing is that intentional parenting and, you know, to take, I think, these concepts of, you know, how you instill morality and how you check up on somebody's, you know, their, their sense of, of doing the right thing. Uh, you know, I remember one time we were at the grocery store I was young. It was a big national chain. It wasn't like some mom and pop. And they, they gave you too much change. And you said, you gave me too much change and you returned the change. And then we had a little discussion about it, right? Like, this is why I did it. Like, yeah, you know, it's not right to take money. And and those little things along the way, you know, I, I feel like all of these things that I'm hearing, those are sort of how you set the groundwork for those learnings to make sure that your child is making the right decisions on the back end and, you know, taking these little sort of daily teaching moments. And did, was that any part of how you grew up? Well, you, you can't create a teaching moment, which you have to be aware of when it pops up in front of you Mm -hmm, and Mm -hmm. and then use it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that was more of my parochial school, Mm. Um, growing up in a parochial school um, where values were very important, including, you know, the value of honesty. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you don't take advantage of someone else's mistake. Mm-hmm. So if they give you too much change, you returned it. If they forgot to charge you for something, which has happened, mm-hmm. you know, I will remind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been restaurants that we've had dinner at where the server forgot to put something on the on the bill, mm-hmm. and we always say you forgot about this or that, mm-hmm. um, and that's just um, learning how you should lead a good life. And when those opportunities come up, you share them with the children, mm-hmm. so that they will hopefully take on those same values. Yeah, actually, you bring that up. I also remember being in a supermarket one time where, you know, again, the technology was different, right? That but somebody forgot to ring something up, and you said, "Hey, you forgot this." And, and we had another discussion about that. Kind of some of the ways that I've been trying to create those opportunities is I love, you know, getting books from the library and all of the books that I get from the library, there's a reason, like I do a lot of research when I look for books. And so the way that I now handle reading to my daughter, because one of the things I've realized during the course of this podcast is that just sort of 
reading the book is not quite enough, right? Because you haven't sort of told, I think you need to sort of give it a little bit more oomph. So for instance, we'll read a book about whatever morality or, or perseverance, actually. That's I have a lot of books on perseverance. And so, you know, there's a book on perseverance and then we read the book and that's it. And what I've re- realized kind of through the this podcast and talking with other dads is that I, I need to include sort of this feedback loop of, you know, what are you hearing out of that? And so now the way I approach it with my daughter is, okay, I have checked out this book for a reason. There's something I'm trying to teach you here. When we get to the end of this book, I want you to tell me why I chose this book for you. And I want her to start, you know, to listening to that story and to tease that thing out. And the other thing that I actually get out of that also is, you know, she's just coming out of second grade. And one of the things that I know they're working on at school in second through third grade is sort of inference and reading between the lines of a book. And that's what really all these lessons are, right? No one straight up says, you know, perseverance, perseverance. It's, can you grasp the story and can you understand what the underlying lesson is from that? And so that's how I've been trying to sort of outside of those daily examples of trying to sort of force my way into having those conversations with her because it also re- reinforces the kinds of lessons that I want to teach her again, right? so like perseverance and, and certainly you know, as a girl, I want her to understand that she can be in sciences and she can be an athlete and, you know, she can be a mathematician and all of those things that, you know, typically we hear about in in the middle schools where girls start to shy away from sciences. I certainly, if she doesn't want to do that, that's fine, but I don't want her to shy away from sciences because she thinks girls aren't supposed to do that or boys are better, right? That's a different, that's a completely different thing. And I want to make sure that she, she doesn't think that. And so that's why, you know, those are the kinds of books that I, I borrow, and that's why those stories to me are so important to to, to, to teach her. You know, book, books are, you know, when you talk about teachable moments, books, I think, are a great source of teachable moments because most books will have gems in them mm-hmm. of that will teach you something uh, that you don't expect. I um, used to read, and still do actually, a lot of military history, not because I like guns or war and all that kind of stuff, um, but military history teaches you about leadership, about management. Um, it teaches you about overcoming difficulty. Um, so books, I find, are a very great source for teaching things to children. And so, you know, certainly when I read books to the grandchildren, uh, I make sure that we talk about the teachable moments in them, even if they're just a fun book, you know. Mm-hmm. Hop on pop can have a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and and I think that if you you know get with the sort of that concept of intentional parenting, that to me is part of what intentional parenting is. It's not just getting a book, but it's why did you get that book, and it's what are you trying to teach the child, and then also that last piece of having a conversation using that book as the conversation starter for something that you know, you may or may not be able to sort of replicate in real life or in the daily, you know, the, the sort of the, your daily world of, you know, getting out with the kids. And, and, and I think, yeah, those are, if you're sort of into the intentional parenting thing, it, it, I think that's an excellent avenue to, to, to help uh, teach kids. You, you can also learn a lot about your, your grandchildren, your child too, because sometimes they'll really surprise you mm-hmm. at what they, they see and hear in a book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I want to thank my dad for coming on the show today. We hope you found today's episode informative. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear more discussions around fatherhood, please subscribe and drop us a review. 
If you have any questions, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash papaifatigue. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. Thanks for listening.